0: You're listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast, presented by
1: Pinelands Nursery. Here are your hosts, Fran Chismar and Tom Kinesic. We have been rewarded for complaining. We have. Welcome back to the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast presented by Pinelands Nursery, and I am Fran Chismar.
2: And I'm Tom Knesset.
1: And Fran, I've listened to you complain
2: <laughs> for years now, and this might be the best thing that's ever come of it.
1: Now, <laughs> my trick that everyone in in the, in the office knows that I have learned at a previous place of employment that if you preface any complaint by saying, you know, I'm not one to complain— but people listen because they they take you for your word. Yeah, they don't think oh, you're yeah. complaining. But so, but I complain all the time. All the time. And I yes. just say, you know, I'm not one to complain. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, that's but my. yeah,
2: it it worked. You complained about one one star review, which hasn't disappeared. It's still there. It's still there. And all that complaining turned into three five star reviews. Yeah. So maybe we got to keep this up. Yeah. If we get in that rate of return, that might be what we have to do. That balanced out really good.
1: I'll take three for one. So if someone wants to throw another one-star review out there, if I can get another three, five stars, yeah. that's a good compromise.
2: Yeah, I'm not sure exactly what the ratio would be to make sure we still have a five-star podcast overall. But
1: What drives me crazy is when you look...
2: It's pretty simple math, and I just yeah. can't do it on but, the fly.
1: But when you look at the reviews on the podcast app on your phone it says we have a five-star review but Mm -hmm. if you look on the podcast website it says we have a 4.8 yeah so
2: someone doesn't know how to round
1: yeah i'm okay with rounding up to (laughs) 5.0 so i i don't like for someone that said they wouldn't look at any reviews I've You've... managed to look at every single one.
2: Yeah, before I even get a chance. <laughs> yeah, and I, I've been the one who hasn't really looked at any reviews. Since, uh...
1: So, you, <laughs> you know, I, I probably it, it would be really easy for me to keep complaining, but I should probably. I'm very thankful. Yeah. How about that? I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll take. I'm very thankful for all the wonderful five star mm-hmm. reviews. It's you know we've had a great week. Um, we got the three uh five star reviews. Our listens have really skyrocketed. Wow, this the after the last buzz, the response mm-hmm. was phenomenal. And what's nice is that it was just Tom and I. We didn't yeah. have a guest, so yeah. that was very well received, and we're we're very appreciative for that. And the thing that I'm most jealous of is Tom was recognized in public from the podcast.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, I, it wasn't really public. It was in my driveway. But
1: uh, yeah, but but before the person was in your driveway, they hadn't put two and two together. Yeah,
2: yet. Uh, as far as I know, but um. I have a little side business where I sell Pylons Nursery Plants through my other company, Pylons Direct, which is a retail company. Um, and it's all online, but we do offer contactless pickup, which just so happens to be in my driveway. So you pull into my driveway, and they're mm. all set up. People can just load up. Um, I was setting up some other orders, and the first customer of the day pulled up, and I said hello and started talking to him. He's like, I know your voice. You're Tom. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, how, how do you know that? And then he's like, oh, I listen to the podcast. So – that was pretty rewarding. Um, all the reviews we get are really rewarding. Uh, we work really hard on this. And it's, we do. it's nice to get that positive feedback, and it's nice to get some negative feedback as well to know how we can improve. We want to get but, better. Um,
1: you, you know, for those of you that don't know, that think that we just turn on the microphones to start talking, that really isn't the case. Tom and I actually put a lot of work in and research mm-hmm. and and just formulating yeah. what we want to talk just, about. Just
2: figuring out who's gonna, who we want to have on and... Sometimes you have one episode and you want to balance it out with something. So I've referenced our, our original list, like 20 or 21 guests, yeah. and we've only gotten through, like, I think this will be nine <laughs> today. Yeah. We're all not even halfway through because we've added so many other And even uh, though guests our guests today,
1: some guests we know, some we don't know, even though we know our guests today, it's not like I would just wing asking questions. Oh, yeah. Like, we have all that prepared. You know, we want to give the best – the best uh or have the best conversation that we Mm -hmm. can so we're we put a lot of work into this so the fact that you got recognized i'm really jealous because i haven't been yeah recognized at all you know
2: it's (laughs) so and i will say michael yaris we're gonna send you a free pack of seed packets just for boosting my ego yeah felt really good that was awesome it's like a little (laughs) bit of celebrity i like that
1: i like that so we yes that's great now if he If you recognize me, I'll give two packs of seed, (laughs) two seed (laughs) packets. So the, uh, you know, back on my personal podcast, my music podcast back in January, we were talking not New Year resolutions, but something that we would like to have happen. And I had said on that, that within the year of 2020, I wanted to be invited to be on a podcast Mm -hmm. and that hasn't happened yet either. Yeah.
2: Well, that's one of our goals for this too, is we want to... We want to at least collaborate with some other podcasts that are in this same space and might be talking about slightly different things and yeah. feature them. They feature us. It's a little kind of a little trade off thing, but I would love hasn't that. Happened yet?
1: You know, I I shouldn't complain. We, we, I shouldn't we might complain. have to make the first move.
2: We that's probably probably,
1: <laughs> but I shouldn't complain because we all the you know with how this has grown, we we mention it all the time. We're, we're really surprised every time we get another spike or an increase mm-hmm. in listenership. It just blows our mind. Like I kind of feel like we'll hit a plateau, and I'm like, uh, you know what? I'm really happy with this. You know, this is a great audience, and then all of a sudden it will explode again, mm-hmm. and it just it, – it blows my mind. Yeah. So we, we mm-hmm. got a, a ton of new followers this past week, uh, which is great to see. So thank you for everyone – even the Facebook group. Wow, yeah. I mean, yeah, the that amount spiked as well. I, it seems like it just wasn't that long ago that we had less than a hundred mm-hmm. members, and I looked the other day and was like, "Wow, you know." And the conversations are going on without us yes. at this point,
2: yep. which is which was a lot of the goal yep. was to have people sharing knowledge and and ideas, um, even ideas that might not always mesh. Like, inter- yeah. mesh. Um, and and take away from it, have it be a a productive space, not a combative space.
1: And, and it's definitely been that so far. We have not had one incident yeah. where where there was an issue with attitude or combativeness mm-hmm. or anything like that. So I'm really proud of that too. Yeah. So
2: yeah. But moving on to today's desk because we want to give her a lot of time.
1: I'm excited. This is one of my favorite people to deal with. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever told her that, but I guess she's hearing <laughs> it now. <Yeah. laughs>
2: <laughs> uh today we have on michelle de blasio from the nature conservancy or is it new jersey nature conservancy or the nature conservancy in new jersey i'm already screwing up after we said either, we don't edit either are. <laughs> and um and she is the watershed restoration coordinator for yeah. the nature the nature conservancy location in chester new jersey and uh and we're really excited about this one because we get to work with her specifically fran gets to work with her so very often and um and they're doing some really really cool things right here in new jersey and and the greater mid-atlantic and northeast so we're uh michelle i guess i'll let you take it away from here yeah please introduce yourself
3: hi thanks so much for having me and i just want to say fran you're definitely one of my favorite people so the feeling Mutual, and I don't think I've ever told you that. She didn't even say just to work. She
2: said favorite people. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that's true. She just said all time
3: favorite (laughs) people. That's
1: how I heard that.
3: (laughs) The feeling is mutual. stars over here. All right. The feeling (laughs) is mutual. (laughs) It's mutual, um, and it's probably because we both, um, you know, share the same love for trees and plants that we probably feel that way about one another. Yes. Um, So. As um, you mentioned, I'm with the Nature Conservancy here in New Jersey. I'm the Watershed Restoration Coordinator, and in my role, I help to oversee a number of different conservation projects, uh, most notably, which we'll talk about today, is the floodplain reforestation work. Um, we work right now specifically in the Pollenskill Watershed. And so that's up in Sussex and Warren counties. And so that's where I've been based for the last five years um, since I joined TNC.
1: Awesome. Awesome. You know, so often we're so excited to talk to our guests that we jump right into the thick of it and we probably start in a place where we know where we're at, but maybe our listeners don't know where we're Mm -hmm. at. And, you know, for for our listeners that may not be that familiar with the Nature Conservancy, what is the overall mission of The Nature Conservancy or a little background um, just to help help our listeners out if they're not as familiar?
3: Yeah. So The Nature Conservancy has been around for over 50 years. Uh, it's an international nonprofit, environmental nonprofit. We um, have chapters across the U.S. and across the globe. Um, so depending on where you're located, there's different strategies that are being implemented um, so really, whatever work is needed most in conservation is happening in those um, strategic priority areas. Um, the organization was actually founded um, as a land preservation, land conservation organization back in the 50s. And, you know, since then, and, you know, as the world changes, um, so does our work. And so we've really evolved as an organi- organization over the years um, and really have been taking on newer and bigger initiatives um as these you know different environmental issues come up. And so more recently in the last few decades, in addition to the land preservation work, um we're doing a lot of different projects um in terms of you know improving our freshwater resources, um, in terms of you know coastal work and coastal resiliency work. Um we're working in cities, we're you know now you know even just very recently, we're, you know, tackling climate change in a really big way. That's, you know, some of the new big initiatives. But um, it's great to really have, you know, this organization that works across across seas, across landscapes because we're able to collectively come together and really see where this work is needed most and and rely on our, our partners and our, um, you know, even internally and externally to, to really get this work done. So, you,
1: you know, it's It's funny because I I get to work with you and we have such a good work relationship that I forget that you have colleagues also in New Jersey. I was at a a watershed conference in Delaware back in January and ended up speaking to someone that said they were doing a project on Mordecai Island and they were working on uh, coastal resiliency with salt marsh plants. And it it was one of your colleagues of the Nature Conservancy. And I was like, wow, you know, I I forget (laughs) that, you know, how much work you're doing on a local level, and and it kind of brings me to my next question, which, you know, when I was younger and I first learned of the Nature Conservancy, probably back in the in the late '80s, I'd say, because um, I had a, a a boss of mine that urged me to to donate to the Nature Conservancy, and you know, I thought of it at that point more on a global level with global initiatives like saving rainforests and things like that, and I didn't realize the local importance of the Nature Conservancy until I started at Pinelands and started to work with you, and I met you and some of your colleagues, so one of my first introductions uh, for that was the Roots for River Initiative, which which you mentioned earlier, and I know that is just finishing up this year. We're still, we I just took another call today about a Roots for Rivers project, so um, I know we're getting close on that. Can, can you expand a little bit on that for our listeners and, and talk about that program?
3: Yeah, so the Roots to Rivers program, it's definitely one that's near and dear to my heart. Um, But I think to best really describe the Roots to Rivers program, we got to take a step back and kind of zoom out a little bit. And So the Roots to Rivers program started back in 2017, and it it was initiated um, as part of this really large effort happening in New Jersey, um, being led by the Nature Conservancy to plant 100,000 trees throughout our state's floodplains. And so as I mentioned earlier, right now, we're uh, working up in the Pollenskill Watershed, which is up in Sussex and Warren counties. And so we were actively working to reforest the banks of the Pollen Skill. Um, we started that initiative in the Pollenskill in 2015. Um, and we, you know, the project started really small. It started in part um, of another initiative to improve water resources in the Delaware River Basin. And the Pollen Skill is actually the third largest tributary to the Delaware. And so, you know, the Nature Conservancy and a number of partners were working in this headwater stream to the Delaware to improve water quality by planting uh, native trees and shrubs along eroded or deforested stream banks. And the initiative in the Pollen Skill started really small. And over time, it really we built so much momentum working in this watershed um, and really started to get tree plantings from, you know, the headwaters all the way out to the confluence with the Delaware and the Nature Conservancy kind of at the start of the pollen skill program launched a bigger statewide initiative um, called the Roots to Rivers Initiative in an effort to plant one hundred thousand trees throughout these floodplains. So really in a sense it was we were doing all this great work in the pollen Skill. we knew we didn't have the capacity to work in the pollen Skill and in you know multiple other watersheds in the state and so we were able to secure funding for tree planting work throughout the state um, we just didn't have the capacity so we started um, this root rivers program which is a mini grants program which would allow Um, You know, townships, school groups, nonprofits, pretty much anybody um, except a private landowner interested in planting trees to apply for this funding and be, you know, upon, you know, receipt would be awarded um, funding to initiate these projects in their own backyards, and their own watersheds. And so we had a ton of lessons learned to share from work in (laughs) the and field. And so we wanted to, you know, share those lessons learned and, and be able to provide the technical um assistance and expertise to other uh folks interested in taking on their own tree planting projects. So kind of the long the long short of it, but we ended up starting this Roots to Rivers program back in twenty seventeen. We had to be honest, we had no idea um if there were really that many people out there interested in taking on these tree planting projects. And, um, we start, you know, we knew, we knew a couple of folks that we had worked with up here. We knew a couple other, um, conservation partners that were out there planting trees. We just didn't really know at what scale and, you know, how much and how many and where there was a need to like, where would be the most, um, you know, where to prioritize these tree plantings to get your biggest bang for your buck. And so, you can plant trees anywhere. It will ultimately, um, you know, help to improve water quality. But there's are certain areas where if you plant trees, you know, in certain sections in these certain, you know, quote, priority areas, you can achieve um, higher returns in terms of, you know, improving those water resources. And so we worked over the last few years here to really identify where those priority areas are for restoration. And then, identify key groups and stakeholders that would be able to take on these grant projects and you know we launched again we launched it in 2017 and over the last few years we we really grew this program into way more than we initially thought it would be (laughs) um so we're excited
1: (laughs) you know it's and and the the organizations that were issued the grants were excited so here at pinelands we deal with each grantee is that something you say yeah so about purchasing the plants and you know it ranges from knowledgeable to no knowledge of trees but everyone just is excited to Mm -hmm. to play their part in this um and i can imagine it's challenging like you mentioned it kind of started in warren county and for our listeners that aren't familiar with new jersey warren county is a lot different than if you were to go an hour and a half south in New Jersey along the Delaware. So Warren County is definitely mm-hmm. more Piedmont, uh, beautiful land. I was just up there last weekend at a winery. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, and it, it changes. So you're dealing mm-hmm. with different challenges just for different areas. But um, it to yeah, me, I... it seemed extremely successful on our end just from who we talked to.
3: Yeah. And so that's an interesting point. So New Jersey is, you know, it's so diverse and we're, you know, we have our farmlands and our forests and our urban areas. We just have so many different landscapes. And so des- to design this mini grants program um, was definitely challenging because it's not really a one size fits all in terms of implementation. It is. Um, yeah. But even just write down to your species selections and, and different landowners and different property types, um, it was it was interesting. And just working with so many different partners in these different landscapes, it was, um, it was just really interesting to see even some of these, I mean, we had projects in Bergen County, we had projects in Cumberland County, we, we really were able to span across the entire state, um, and really get projects all over, um, and in many, many different watersheds at the, you know, as you mentioned, this the grants coming to an end. Um, obviously, we've extended it because of COVID. It was supposed to end uh, this spring, but at you know at the end of this year, we'll have about eighty-nine different projects that went in the ground as a result mm. of this wow. pro- as a result of this program, and we'll we'll hit that. You know, we'll be close to. Well, it'll be well over 100,000 final numbers will. Wow. Cool, you know?
1: wow. I was just going <laughs> to ask it, that yeah. I was going yeah. to ask how many grants and and did did you end up meeting the goal? And cuz that's a short amount of time. Yeah. Like that really is not you know, yeah. there's you, you know, you could think of a lot of initiatives nationwide like I you know, you could think of New York City uh when Mayor Bloomberg did the the million trees mm-hmm. in 10 yep. years. Uh which was 900,000 restoration and a hundred thousand street trees over 10 years to do that. So it was spaced out very nicely. And I know, um, the New York restoration project matched that, or you think, I know the Chesapeake Bay foundation right now, the Pennsylvania watershed is 10 million Mm -hmm. trees in 10 years that they're, they're a little more aggressive. Um, but to, to accomplish your goal and more in that amount of time with mainly volunteers, uh, Mm Because it was landowners planting themselves and doing volunteer planting, so that's 89 projects. That's that's amazing.
3: Yeah, and so we have, so again, we you know we had this pollen skill watershed wide reforestation program happening at the same time as the Roots to Rivers program. So those two programs combined allowed us to meet and achieve that 100 thousand tree goal. Um, And so the Nature Conservancy with other partners. were able to plant, I think we're at about 58,000 trees in just the Polinska watershed alone. Wow. And then the Roots or Rivers program allowed us to, you know, open up new areas um, and get others involved. So there's hundreds and hundreds of people helped to plant these trees. Um, You know, the Nature Conservancy helped to kind of (laughs) kickstart, we like to say, but by no means. I mean, everybody was really out there and we still, um, the... So the AmeriCorps New Jersey watershed ambassador program, those watershed ambassadors were really, really key to the success of the Roots Rivers program. I mean, they were out connecting with new landowners and and finding the project sites and helping to put in the orders and um, they're still out there this fall trying to connect uh, with the folks that weren't able to get their plantings done in the spring. So I, I just spoke
1: to one today, actually.
3: Oh, good. Yeah, <laughs> so, we are still we're trying to help because, um, again, I mean, the program was supposed to end. So the goal was set in 2015 to plant 100,000 trees throughout New Jersey's floodplains by 2020. And so we were all geared up, ready to, you know, hit that finish line, and and then, you know, the pandemic kind of put a halt to that. So mm-hmm. now we're trying to still see those projects happen. We've, you know, figured out new, new and efficient means of getting this work done in light of COVID. So, you know, we're we're able to get out there safely, but I think things have just been a little. Even the nurseries. I mean, I've heard from a lot of people; they're not, you know, everybody's kind of low on stock, which you'd think. Maybe wouldn't be the case initially but yeah i mean we're glad to hear we're glad to hear that but well uh, I, so there, I, yeah
1: i think part of that was when COVID hit it's during the nursery industry's major mm-hmm. period yep. of of producing plant material you produce plant material in the spring so it can root by the end of the year and and people had to make a really tough decision yeah. at that point do we have the money to pot
2: yeah, yeah pot you don't out? know what like we made a lot of tough decisions because we didn't know well how long is this going to last how we sell or most of our sales come in the spring at least yeah. over 50 percent. so yeah. how is this going to affect that um yeah, if we then it can even, we sell it yeah even mm-hmm. when producing we had to completely change how we did production to have people six feet apart and make sure everyone's wearing masks and yeah. like because that you're taking a little bit more frequent breaks because it's just harder to do things it was uh yeah we had to change a lot of things in, and we had to make those decisions in like a week or less time it, frame. It was <laughs> I really think we quick. made yeah. like some of these decisions, we were supposed to do some, some stuff on Monday and we made them Sunday night at like 7 o'clock when we were finally saying, okay, this is what we're going to do. It was... It was challenging. Stressful from a nursery end, yeah. It,
1: it, it was definitely challenging, and, and everyone had their challenges yeah, this year. Cool. So it was. I think that's part of the reason why maybe there's a shortage of plant material. And then even if you want to gear up now for next yeah. year, there's such a disruption in the supply chain. Yeah. Can you get the pots? To- I'd,
2: I'd say the other thing that really attributed to that is you had um, – I mentioned my retail business in the beginning. I, I had by far our best year ever because people were home. Uh, they just got a stimulus check. They had a little bit of money to spend right in that planting season. And you talk to a lot of the garden centers or people supplying the garden centers, and they're saying, we were sold out of stuff, and there was no way for us to get more. Yeah. To, we could have done a whole other flip, a whole nother cycle of plants, and but the plants weren't there for us to get. This, so it was, this yeah, pan- it's was been interesting. D- yeah,
1: this pandemic completely reju- rejuvenated the independent garden center, mm-hmm. which they were having troubles uh, competing with box stores. This completely change that and they weren't prepared for that they yeah. weren't expecting that they were preparing for business as usual so it was it, it, there's a lot of really interesting facets yeah. about yeah. <laughs> about this yeah. year with with the AmeriCorps uh, watershed ambassadors how many you know I, I I speak with a lot of them but I know nothing about that program so I don't know yeah anything yeah. about them to be honest
3: so the program. Um, we just, so when we started working in the Pollen Skill, one of our partners that we work with, um, the Walk Hill Watershed, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, so you know Nathaniel, you've seen those guys, so yeah. we um, always were hosting planting events with the Ambassadors back in 2015, 2016, and when the Roots to Rivers program started, We were like, oh, that would be a great way to connect all these, you know, new, most of them, most of the ambassadors just graduated college. They're looking for experience. Um, It's an AmeriCorps program. It runs like any other program. And so, um, you know, not having, you know, instead of just getting them out to come help plant the trees, we were like, this is a really great way to train them on how to start and, you know, start a project and implement it um, from start to finish and also give them a little bit of expertise with like the grant writing world Um, and so we engage with them and the way the ambassador program works is they have different service projects um, again similar to any other AmeriCorps program where they get uh, service hours for completing different tasks and it's a pretty standard program in New Jersey Um, they do uh, water quality surveys they do educational stuff with the different local school groups and there's about 20 ambassadors that are on every year and they're divided by watershed management areas okay uh, which are defined you know in New Jersey so you have this local presence or this local ambassador in each of these distinct watershed management areas. And every year they leave a running record um, or journal, if you will, for the next year's ambassadors. So those connections kind of those connections uh-huh. that the projects maintain year after year. And so when the new ambassadors come on in the fall, they can look back at all the service projects that the, you know, previous ambassador had worked on in that area. And so when we introduced them to the Roots to Rivers program, it was great because they were able to maintain those relationships and go and check on those sites um, and, you know, year after year. To be honest, um, tree planting was never considered, tree planting in the Roots to Rivers project, it was never considered one of their service projects that was initially, like, eligible for points or, I'm not actually as familiar of how they actually get the check mark. Okay. Um, It might be a point system, but... um, we worked with the program coordinator to say, hey, look, we have a really great project for them to be involved with every year. Um, is there any way you can add tree planting, reforestation um, to the mix of different service projects that are eligible for them to, you know, complete their hours? And we started doing trainings with them, um, you know, in class and field trainings where I'd go out for like an hour with them and, you know, give them the backstory of why it's important and why we plant trees. and then, you know, how to prioritize and find the area. So we turned it into a much bigger effort with them. And it was more than worth it, I would say, because they brought in more than half of the projects. Wow. Like those 89, they, they, yeah, definitely brought in more than half. I mean, they were out there so excited, so engaged. And the ambassadors are great because not only can they help folks at, you know, the municipal level who are maybe a little stretched and they don't really have, you know they don't have staff or capacity to coordinate and lead these projects um but they they want to plant at their town's park um the ambassadors were a great way to give them somebody (laughs) to help lead those projects and order the plants and you know help with you know administering the grant um and, and securing volunteers and setting up work days and things like that so they were you know critical role to the success of the program Um, and now as we you know as the program's ending we're hoping to continue the partnership with the ambassador program over the next you know five to seven years because now that all the trees are in the ground um, you know we have have to take care of them
1: stewardship's (laughs) a big part Mm. that everyone overlooks yeah
3: we need to make sure that they're surviving and um, you know one of the things that is required by the grant is protection and so when you plant the tree you have to protect it with a plastic um tree tube protector which you know protects from wildlife and deer browse and keeps the rodents from girdling Um, but you know at the end of the day uh, and all i say is we have a lot of plastic out there (laughs) and we can't (laughs) walk away i mean we, we live by the leave no trace motto so you know, the trees, we need them to survive, but we also need to clean up all those work sites and those tree tubes can stay on the tree for up to five five years, potentially even seven years for the slower growing species like oak. So what we're trying to do in the next few years here is, you know, engage with the ambassador program to help with that stewardship effort and continue to be in the conversation with all the past uh, Roots for Rivers applicants. So all those 89 projects to continue those relationships and be there to help, you know, get those materials out of the field, properly dispose of them, recycle them, um, and really be able to, you know, it helps us to track the success of the project. Um, To be honest, we thought about launching a bigger tree initiative for the next five years. um, And, you know, through the strategic planning process, you know, one way or another, we, you know, it didn't go through. It's not in our new strategic plan at the Nature Conservancy. But one thing that did come up that was really clear is that, stewardship is so important. And we just planted, you know, we helped to plant over 100,000 trees in New Jersey. Our best bet is to, you know, collect information on those sites and, you know, really do our part to ensure that those 100,000 trees are there and they're surviving and, you know, thereby helping to improve those water resources throughout these local watersheds. So we're really hoping and excited the next five years brings us lots of really great information about this work um, at scale that we can then reassess in five years and, you know, maybe launch another initiative. Who knows? <laughs>
1: they, they were all so great to work with. And, and we were dealing with yeah. with with a lot of turnover because if they switched every year and, and the project was granted every year, I might have dealt with three different watershed mm-hmm. ambassadors, but they were knowledgeable as to what had happened, what they needed to do. Uh, it was yeah. a great program. And it's the fact you know, and stewardship is such – an important part, you know, just a perfect example. So this past weekend, we took a historic train ride through Phillipsburg, uh, New Jersey and Warren County, right along the Delaware Ooh. River. And someone, on, you know, it was beautiful fall color. And it, you're, you're kind of going through a buffer area and you can't quite see the river. And there was someone on the train was like, they should cut down all these trees <laughs> yeah. so you could get a better view <laughs> of okay. that river. And I, I just had to laugh to myself. And I'm like, I'm not. I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to yeah. bite my, I'm going to bite you my know, lip.
3: That's the thing. I mean, I've spoke to so many landowners over the years, private landowners, because I work very closely with private landowners in the Pollen watershed. And so many folks that live right on the main stem Pollen Skill, they don't want trees. You know, they like to, they, to maintain their mode long because they want to see the river. <laughs>
0: yeah.
3: Um, so it's just, I think it's just, kind of how we manage the land i would always say to landowners is you know we can put in shrubs so they're lower um but ultimately you know you want plants holding in that that soil holding in the bank um and so there's always kind of a a way to manage it for both people and for the the wildlife and the mm-hmm. critters and the water quality there's kind of a middle ground <laughs> yeah. is, is there
1: out of all of those projects is there one that stands out to you that you're like wow this one like is there one that if one program that if you had to show showcase is there one that stands out to you
3: of the roots to rivers yeah Mm -hmm. yeah there's a lot um let me think (laughs) i have so many (laughs) stories that are so close to home just working with so many different people um i think one of the the one of the beginning stories which i always it kind of it showed to me that the project was successful and it was working so 2017 it was down in um kingwood township along the look Leca- at the Lecatcon Creek. Okay. so it's a trick up to say um one of the watershed ambassadors had applied it was the first year we were doing the program we you know i still had a lot of kings to work out and she got permission from the town kingwood township to to plant trees at one of their local parks it was like most tree planting projects a little bit of a disaster at first right like your deliveries come late or the species you want are there like there was just a lot of um, lessons learned there was a lot of you know the, the lady I worked with um, that was uh, overseeing that project it was a lot of back and forth but at the end of the day we got the project done she so had a bunch of volunteers come out and help plan and that was in 2017 and then the next year um, another project application came in for the same project location, but the following year it was from the town.
2: Mm -hmm. And so
3: it was really interesting to see that the ambassador was able to make the connection with the town, um, make the connection with the locals at the park. And, you know, by the next year, they identified new areas to plant at that same park. And now this year they had the town involved. The town was all in, was applying, and we still... I think they've applied every year since Um, they Mm -hmm. just had, they're they're still extending that planting area. One thing. Um, So they've been, they've been at it um, at their local park for the last three years now. Um, So it's cool to see something starting really small, like most things do, um, just like this program and then turning into something, you know, bigger and better at the end.
1: One thing that you may not even be aware of is that Kingwood Township has become a steady customer over and beyond the roots for river program. So okay. they yeah, so it's it's nice to see how that initiative changed the way municipality thinks about mm-hmm. their open space. Um which is so great to to see and w- we completely encourage that. But yeah, mm-hmm. it's it it goes well above that I, I love that you picked that one as an example
3: <laughs> yeah that's pretty interesting um there's you know and I, I think it's really this program was really great for a lot of those open space areas it was a really the grant itself is probably some of the easiest funding you can get your hands on in terms of the application and the process we made it very straightforward very simple for people with limited capacities to be able to you know quickly apply and take advantage of the funding and i know we had a lot of um, other projects that were happening on the blue acres buyout lots that the state yeah. um, buys out. So it was a really good, you know, we were seeing these trees go in, again, across, you know, in coastal communities, down the shore, in the, you know, Bergen County, urban areas, farmlands. It was really, it was good to see it spread out.
1: <laughs> now one of the things we, and we, we touched upon some of the keys, and, and one definitely being uh, stewardship, but You had mentioned earlier as well, just involvement. So a lot of these would not have happened without volunteer support or even, you know, the AmeriCorps uh, watershed ambassadors. What are some of the keys for you of getting people involved to become a part of these projects?
3: So we always, you know, connect with locals in this area, but also – We try to bring in as many people to these projects because, you know, at the end of the day, the overarching goal is improving our water resources. And so even if you don't live in this watershed, this water drains to the next watershed. Right. (laughs) So we always try to really get as many people involved. Um, One, we physically need the help. (laughs) We cannot plant all these trees. Um, by ourselves, but it's just some of the most rewarding work that you can get involved with. And our volunteers, we have returning volunteers that come out every single year. It's um, just one of these projects that not only do you get to see results instantly at the end of the day, um, but you know that it's making that bigger impact, that greater impact Mm -hmm. for future generations. I mean, to protect your water resources in the pollen Skill, and then for, you know, therefore the Delaware. And it, it just... It always becomes this bigger, bigger picture. Um, and I think that really helps to get volunteers involved and then keep them coming back.
2: And and it's interesting you brought up that you see all that progress you made at the end of the day, you can get that satisfaction, uh, especially with trees, you get that satisfaction for like decades (laughs) to come. Um, (laughs) like I, I planted some white pines up at our, uh, uh, we have a nursery in New York. I don't even know, over 10 years ago. And, um, and we were up there a couple of weeks ago, and I drove by, I'm like, man, those things got big. And it's just <laughs> like, well, I can't believe I planted those that long ago, and look what they've become, and none of them died, thankfully, <laughs> which, was, which was nice to see. It's not fun when you see a lot of them die. But, uh, no, yeah, you get to There's see no it's rewarding for a long, long time. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a reward that you can pass down to family members and friends as well, because you can go and tell them about, hey, this is I planted this five years ago or ten years ago, and maybe they want to get involved too. I know we were talking to um, uh, the Sourland Conservancy. They mm-hmm. asked us to help spread a message they needed some volunteers for a planting they were doing okay. uh, about a month ago, and we helped put it out. And they said they had more volunteers than they had plants, and they were done, <laughs> done <That's>... super quick. <laughs> and they actually had to – they have got more plants and opened it up so they could get all the volunteers who wanted to help Yeah, uh, but, something to plant. But so. what's
1: important yeah. was – and And this is my next key is that you planted the right thing in the right yes, place, so. and that's why you got good success and and a lot of uh, for what happens with a lot of these restoration projects is identifying the right the right mm-hmm. thing so it comes down to education. how important is education to the nature Conservancy with with your projects and your message
3: very important. I mean, we, you know, obviously there is, we learned that lesson pretty hard at the very beginning. Like if you don't plant the right stuff and if you don't, you know, there is, there is a right way to do this work. Um, and you know, it's everybody's time, it's everybody's resources. We want to be as most efficient and effective as possible. And we need to teach that to our volunteers, to the people that come out, to our donors, to our part, you know, we, that message needs to be spread. And that is something that, really allows us to be successful is through educating people about the importance of the work but also the specific project implementation the importance of you know how to do it right we lost a lot of trees in the first few years yeah. Yeah. <laughs> from just not um you know but they they were growing pains they were lessons learned Um, And, you know, different sites have very specific characteristics. Sometimes, you know, certain species just don't do well. Sometimes you just didn't protect it right. right? So I think the education is a is a huge factor in all of this, um, especially for all the school groups we have coming out. You know, just being able to make the connection to the bigger picture, but also making a direct you know, a more personal connection, I think, helps to educate and helps to leave that message, you know, embedded in them. So, and, um, and you it, know, like I'm sorry, Tom, no, like Tom is just saying before, we actually have our volunteers name trees and identify oh. them or tag them in their own special way somehow. So they can come back every year and check on their tree. We try to really, really get them in. Were there, <laughs> awesome. were there any like really get them in and get them back? I were like there any it. like
2: great names yeah. that people chose? Like anything uh, unique?
3: what's that were there
2: any like really unique names that people chose or was it pretty standard nothing that
3: it would just yeah you know maybe and there's probably people out there that during the events they did but they didn't ever you know it would be a, a kind of a general announcement at the beginning like when you're done planting your trees you know pick your favorite and make sure you remember where it is and make sure you bring your mom your dad your sister your brother back to come check on it um you know year after year and We definitely have had volunteers come back, Um, you know, some of the different local companies we work with that have their staff come out, they, you know, they'll come out every year and they're like, oh, bragging to their, you know, colleagues, like, oh, I planted those trees over there last season. And so it's it's definitely cool to see um, people getting, you know, not just getting out and getting involved, but really um, feeling like they made that difference and they were connected to the project in a bigger way.
1: You had mentioned losing a lot of trees early on, and I think one thing that maybe the the average person doesn't realize, a lot of this really, regardless of how much science or research you have, it's still a lot of trial and error. Most of these restorations build in a a percentage of loss right off the bat, and there's just certain things out of your control. And one of the examples I like to use, if you've ever seen the movie um, Jurassic Park, where um, <laughs> Jeff Goldblum is explaining the chaos theory about the drop of water going down his hand, and you think if you drop it in the same place and have the same conditions, it's going to go in the same direction every time. But it doesn't because there's other factors at play. So topography changes, mm-hmm. and plants adapt, and, and you get to see after time that, oh, you know, this maybe soft rush here wasn't great, but it, it adapted and moved over here, and this plant moved over here, and things like that. So I'm assuming just trial and error helped you kind of hone that list in for better success as you went along.
3: Yeah, and so we have um the pollen scale is really unique and it's each site, it's it's again, it's not a one size fits all. We have very different soils that exist throughout the watershed. We have different soils that exist at one location. I mean some of our sites are upwards of 20 acres and within that 20 acres It's all sorts of different soils, different, um, you know, depth to water table, different um, sun that comes in, different plants. And so we it's a mix. Every site has a very specific restoration plan, planting plan, um, where we plant, how we plant, what we plant. (laughs) Every everything is, you know, it's all it's all the same. Right. Plants and trees. But it's very, very specific um, for individual sites. Um, so everything varies. Everything's, you know, very calculated in what we do. Um, and then just to get a sense of, you know, how successful we are. I mean, those beginning years, the, the high mortality was really due to some species selection, um, just not, you know, at the beginning we would plant in an area that we thought would be dry throughout most of the year. And then we got a big flood and we were like, Whoa, (laughs) we're in a, we're in a floodplain. Remember that? This floods and really floods. And so just that understanding those sites and really, um, seeing them throughout the years and seeing where those, you know, more inundated areas are versus the drier areas versus the rock, you know, just really getting to know the watershed, know these sites, um, help to guide us in, you know, future sites and and future plantings on on how to really do it right. But we've recently started collecting survivability data. Okay. And so we aim to achieve an 85% survival rate across all the sites. And so just to give you a sense, we have have some very specific, uh, more rigorous data collection that we do at um, some of our really larger sites where we collect a ton of information, you know, DBH height soil type, sunlight, and all all that good stuff. But then we have a very general survivability survey that we're um, actually now having volunteers help out with because it's a great way to, you know, collect some science and better understand these sites and get involved without, you know, having planting per se to do, where you just go out and we're tallying all the trees we see and we're um, collecting information on, you know, are they dead? Are they alive? Are they vigorous? Are they not vigorous? And We're putting all that data together to give us this overall percent across the pollen scale. So out of about, we have almost 140 acres that have been planted, 140 acres across the watershed that have been planted and with about 58,000 trees. And we're at about, we're ranging from 84 to 96% survival across all the sites.
1: Wow, that's incredible. That's a great number. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's a great
2: number.
3: And, and I'll. I mean, yeah.
2: I was going to say, I'll just point out for our listeners at home that's one of the biggest differences between uh, restoration projects and your at home gardening is with restoration projects, it's really on a population level. it's You're factoring in everything and knowing that there's going to be stuff that's probably not in the perfect conditions for that plant or even survivable conditions for that plant just by the nature of how that site changes really day to day um it could just be that you have a drought and it, that plant needed a little bit more water than it was getting in that spot just from when you planted it and the rest of the year it would have been fine
1: and, and it's not like someone's watering it it's it's not like nope. there's yeah. a, a water source or yeah. even yeah, a no means one's to really, water ten
2: thousand yeah. plants you no know, one's coming to save that plant it's about the population yeah surviving not necessarily every single one you, you yeah
3: have... go ahead sorry. i'm sorry no it's okay I'm no sorry. we um so we taking that into consideration and knowing that it's it's not our backyard we're not landscaping it's not nobody's going to be out there watering it and feeding it you know nutri- food or anything like that like it's it's really just you plant and and you just take care of the trees you keep the vines off you try to mow back around the tubes you make sure they're protected from wildlife and see what happens. But we've um, experienced really interesting things at some of our sites So, some sites that have a really high uh, nutrient content in the soil. Um, But in these very distinct areas, not across the entire site, uh, we were seeing that the trees were growing so fast that the roots actually weren't developing as fast as the top of the tree. And so we were experiencing these really big tip ups and we couldn't figure out what it was. Um, And so we had NRCS come out because we were like, we're going to have a big problem if this is very characteristic for this whole site. Right. And so um, we found out that it was just just these certain pockets at this site um, had just like super nutrient rich soil. um, And these trees were just growing like nuts and didn't you know, the roots didn't have time to catch up with the top of the tree. And so they were tipping up and we, you know, these little things that you just don't
1: um you don't think yeah. of or you can't you plan for or, you, you know yeah. we we find that happen at the nur- on an on a nursery level in growing seasons that are wetter than normal because the roots don't have yeah. to stretch to find water um so they're they're not developing the way they should because they they're not getting the stress but the tops are growing well far yeah. beyond their their root system so it's mm. it's challenging it's almost you think on one hand oh this is great we're getting all this rain we don't have to water anything yeah. in but on the other hand it's too much is still you know harmful it's like wow i really need some yeah. dry weather
2: <laughs> we even had an instance of this we talked about all those little micro factors that can affect the plant we we were trying out a new um sustainably sourced media it's actually out of made out of recycled paper um And when we planted them, the pH ended up being way different. And me being a knucklehead didn't test the pH beforehand. (laughs) And we were wondering, hey, the the tops of these plants look terrible. You have our normal media and this other media, which was supposed to be just as good, not produce better plants. Um, And they look awful side by side Mm -hmm. after a month. And um, then I pulled the plants out and the roots on this, it was a tiny little plant. And you pull out the roots. The roots were bigger than that full lush plant. And it was just a, it was the pH was different. And the water like Seven point, Yeah, 7.0 versus 6.2. Yeah. So, which is a pH wise is a pretty drastic thing, especially yeah. in the mm-hmm. plant uh, plant portion of it. But um, really it's not <laughs> that far off in the grand scheme of things. And it was just that little change. We used something to drop the pH and things took off. Huge and, difference, yeah. And, um, but it was interesting just seeing how that pH, the, like the roots were so much better, but it was a tiny little top versus a huge top and less roots. Hmm.
1: Now I was going to ask and and it may not be that big of an issue because I was going to ask you about invasives, but what the the percentage mm-hmm. survival percentage has been wonderful is have, have you found on these projects invasives being an, an issue?
3: They're there. Um, they're you know, an issue. I will say that so most of our sites that we've planted, they're abandoned ag fields, agricultural fields. Okay. Mostly they were used for cattle. Um, and so most of the sites that we've planted are covered in reed canary grass and wow. so our you know mentality was we you know if we can get a foot in the ground <laughs> um, with our you know woody species we can hopefully get some competition in in the soil and in the in the root system and over time the trees will grow and you know essentially shade out um, the reed canary grass so that was most of our sites that was the the biggest invasive culprit but more recently as we started to I don't want to say run out of lands to plant on but as we kind (laughs) of planted all the low-hanging fruits and you know these large areas covered with three canary grass some of the sites we've planted recently they we have a lot of multiflora rose and barberry autumn olive Um, and you know battling invasives it's It's one of those, um, it's one of those things. So in a sense, okay, if you think if they're covering the stream bank, in a sense, they're holding in and maintaining the soil. Like they're destroying the diversity factor on all levels. Like you don't have any natives, they're a monoculture. But in terms of water quality, we've really had to identify and, you know, some of these sites, like what's the time, what's the worth it's going to take to yank these out of the stream bank and plant natives like is, you know, we look at the overall site and the composition and if there's still some natives coming in, sometimes we'll just leave it be um, and we won't actively remove invasives. Um, Some of our sites we do, we get in there, we, you know, depending on what it is, we cut them, we, you know, we'll apply like a a cut stump application to some of the bases um, to kill, to kill the root systems. Um, I'd say the vines mile a minute is probably the most problematic um at some of our sites because it encroaches and blankets over the tree tubes so when the trees are young and they're not up out of those tubes yet um you'll just have kind of a sea of mile a minute Mm -hmm. um and so that's pretty
1: and i would imagine if the invasives are providing erosion control and knowing that soil disturbance is just going to allow for possibly more invasives (laughs) i guess sometimes you're looking at what's the the lesser of two evils you know yeah is it better to leave them stay instead of seeing what may volunteer if you disturb it um yeah, that's I, – I don't envy being in that, having to make those decisions.
3: <laughs> you know, we try to make it – you know, every site our, we always leave saying, you know, we want it to look like no one was ever here. <laughs> like, yeah. We want it to look like this was just a uh, young forest that came up on its own and the less disturbance – through these sites, the better. Um, they've already historically been disturbed, um, which is why we're trying to restore them. So the, the less disturbance, the better, but sometimes you, you know, you, you have to, um, if it, if it's a problem, but I'd say we, you know, in the fallen skill particularly, we've been able to find enough land that is, you know, doesn't require too much invasive species management
1: Awesome, and
3: still allow us to restore, um, a lot of these, you know, right next to the river in these floodplain areas.
1: So, my my next question is: So, you have Roots for Rivers, highly successful project, coming to an end. What's next? what What is the next initiative for you at the Nature Conservancy in New Jersey?
3: So, we have a lot of fun stuff coming up. Awesome. Um, one thing that I didn't mention that has been going on that will continue to go on is we have an extensive water quality monitoring program. And so throughout the pollen Skill we have about 23 different uh, water quality monitoring stations, locations on the river and in the smaller streams that drain to the main stem pollen scale. So we're collecting scientific data, um, at project sites, at just, you know, any at these different streams and tributaries to really understand baseline water quality conditions of the pollen scale. We have some historic data that, you know, shows that the water quality is not great. It's not terrible, but it could be better. Um, and so we really wanna have a nice, you know, 10 year baseline of this watershed that we can, you know, document record see all the projects that are going on on the ground, you know, like the tree plantings, we do a ton of land preservation work. And then um, recently, and for the next few years, we'll be working um, on dam removal projects along the main stem of the pollen skill and then throughout um, other river systems in the state. And so the water quality monitoring program will continue, um, for the next five years hopefully more the more data the better the more we can say i mean all these different projects we do in these landscapes it's going to take decades to see changes to the yeah. water quality in some of these areas so yes if we plant trees and we know they're surviving and reproducing we can assume that they will increase um you know improve rather water quality over time but the hard science data that goes with that story is probably going to take a lot longer um to to show up so in addition as i just mentioned the dam removal stuff so we had this really big tree planting initiative for the last five years and for the next five years um we're really hoping to take on more dam removal projects and really incentivize um Dam removal projects to increase aquatic connectivity um, across the Delaware River Basin and beyond in New Jersey specifically. Um, so we have a couple different initiatives going on. We have three different dam removal projects that have happened or are happening on the Pollen Skill. Um so we're really, to me, I think we're going, you know, bigger and better. Um, in terms of improving our water resources here in the state, I mean, majority of the dams in, in New Jersey, I don't have exact statistics in front of me, but they're obsolete dams, they're no longer in use. Uh, most of them, it's, you know, failing infrastructure, you have liability issues, and most of them throughout the state, um, you know, any Big major flood could could take out any of these dam- or, you know, storm rather could take out any of these dams. And so there's a number of different issues that that go hand in hand with, you know, having these old infrastructure, this old infrastructure and these dams in place and and just leaving them there. So we're really um, hoping to jumpstart statewide initiatives to, to really start going stronger with initiating dam removal projects. Um
1: We've actually seen a, seen a big increase, not mm-hmm. just in New Jersey, in PA as well, in New York, just dam removal mm-hmm. projects, which is pretty exciting.
2: Yeah, yeah, and they're, they're they're fascinating because it was such a technological advancement at some point to put in these dams, and now now we're looking and seeing all the um, I don't want to say damaged. Neg- negative impacts. The, yeah, so. negative impacts that they've created over time, and how important it is to take them out. Um, but it's knowledge I don't think has really reached the public, at least in mass yet. A lot of people look at dams and say, "Oh, this is pretty cool," and not this is something bad that should probably be removed.
1: You know, and I've mentioned this on on the podcast before in a previous episode. But you, you know, when you you think of New Jersey, you think of the Meadowlands, mm-hmm. which was originally a freshwater watershed mm-hmm. uh, on Ooh. the Hackensack until the Dutch started damming the Hackensack for farming purposes. Uh, that was all Atlantic white cedar uh, along that, and then once they started damming it, uh, it became more brackish and salt water and killed all the the Atlantic white cedar. You have fragmites come in and take over, and there, no one's farming that, <laughs> you know, anymore. It's okay. just uh, completely that changed that whole ecosystem mm-hmm. there um, from productive to really not that productive and now that's it's being restored not i guess not restored because you, you're not going <laughs> yeah. to restore the fresh water but it's being fixed um mm-hmm. into uh properly functioning salt marsh species yeah. so it's important like that's just one example of of the negative impacts of of dams
3: so. yeah if you think about i mean rivers their dynamic systems they want to move sediments through their systems Mm -hmm. that's one of their sole purposes in life is to flush downstream and when you start blocking and backing up all these rivers um, you're going to have kind of a mess to the ecology around the river system and I think in theory yeah in you know a couple 50 years ago when dams were going up they were they served a purpose they were put up for a purpose and um, it's you know in recent times we don't use these dams for what they used to be used for you know, used for. So whether it was, you know, a hydro dam for power or, um, you know, a diversion for agriculture, for irrigation, um, but we're just not seeing them being used anymore. And there's no reason to not take them out, yeah. um, to restore these rivers back to their natural free flowing state. Um, the dams on the pollen skill, I can give just for examples, the Columbia dam sat at the mouth of the pollen skill about a quarter mile upstream from the Delaware. And it was the largest dam in New Jersey. And we, you know, alongside with a number of partners, were successful in removing that in 2019. And the pollen skill is, you know, serves as historic spawning grounds for migratory fish species like American shad that, Mm -hmm. you know, come up from the Atlanta, come up the Delaware and use smaller tributaries like the pollen Skill to to spawn um and they were cut off from those spawning grounds for over 100 years since the dam was put in place wow. and the very next spring after the dam was removed we spotted chad um 10 miles upstream almost right at the mouth um, or right at the um, next dam that sits upstream wow. at the pond still so even after 100 years these fish still remember they still know where to go <laughs> they're still going. you know they. Used to be at the base of the dam, you know, at the Columbia Dam, and now they're at the base of the next upstream dam. And so, um, when you start bringing back these native populations, you know, overall, just improving, you know, the integrity of the entire river system, you're you're bringing something back to life. Um, it, you know, in in the in the big picture, a hundred years isn't that long mm-hmm. um, for for some of these systems. So. Um, we're really excited. I, I think we're, you know, I'm, I'm hoping to see it become more of a norm in New Jersey, mm-hmm. like you see in Pennsylvania, um, for these dam removals. I think it's a it's a great initiative. They're, they're big, complex projects, but not all of them. So it should be interesting. Um, <laughs> I, I think we have our work cut out for us, that I, is for sure.
2: I love those success stories. Yeah. And, and I was going to uh, ask, as you started that story, if that was the, I couldn't remember the name of the dam, but um where the american shad started coming back up the year after and there you go you finished it. there you go but yeah it's uh it's pretty it's a unique challenge and it involves one of my favorite professions i was going to ask you <laughs> what's your favorite profession my favorite profession is a fluvial geomorphologist i love that there you name for a job and <laughs> and it's really it's a pretty cool job you're playing with rivers yeah and you're you need to be smart with math and, and really be a good engineer to figure out. Mm-hmm. We need to. The natural flow. Yeah, we need. If we want to prevent erosion, then we want um, the Thrawweg. You know yeah. what the Thrawweg is, Fran? I don't. It's basically me. where the. I like, guess it's the fastest. Um, the water's moving the fastest in the stream. Okay. All right. So it's usually sometimes the deepest part. But uh, yeah, it's just. A, it's a fascinating. It's. If, uh, if I had to go back and change my career path. I think it would have been a fool. You would have done that. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, Michelle, are there are there chapters um, nationally or or close locally that that are killing it that that you've seen like a project uh, that you're not involved in directly but the Nature Conservancy has done that you're like wow this is groundbreaking or this is incredible work like I don't know do do you talk about other chapters and other projects that are going on? And, so, and see how you can adapt them maybe here or learn something from those
3: yeah so we do our very best i mean as you mentioned it's an international organization but i will say um one of the good things about the nature conservancy is i think every year even you know i've only been here for five years but every year they try to think of new ways to connect us um and you know really allow us to share lessons learned and lean on one another for these projects. So um, just this year, they started this freshwater community of practice. And so it's um, partners or not partners, but it's our colleagues working okay. in um, across the the northeast um, and the southeast. So it kind of goes by different regions like landscape wise. Right. Um, but we're trying to connect across internationally and then by these divisions and by these regions and try to really connect the dots between these projects um the idea is over the you know over the next you know in the coming years, we really do need to scale up our work if we want to really make these big impacts um to improving our, our water resources to you know tackling climate change to preserving our land you know if we really want to make this big big difference we need to work more closely together um, and we need to be more connected and start leveraging resources and expertise and start being involved in bigger projects, not just in these, you know, buckets by state or by towns or counties. So I don't have a project, I think like off the top of my head that I would reference. um, But I do know that, you know, that is kind of what it sounds like the future for TNC anyway, that we'll start, you know, maybe not work necessarily on the ground, but connecting, Awesome. to bigger and better projects. Yeah. So we're excited.
1: So I'm going to start being a little more selective with my questions because I knew this would happen, <laughs> that we've already yeah. had Michelle for well over an hour and we haven't even asked half of her questions yeah. yet. So <laughs> I want to ask more Michelle-specific questions if if you would indulge us. So one of the That's things nice. we always love learning, um, you know, we, we get to work a lot on, on, on work level, but... I'm curious. I always love hearing the story of how your path led you to where you're at right now. I, I consider you fantastic at what you do and it's a perfect match and I'm curious how, how you ended up at the Nature Conservancy uh, or how you decided that you wanted to do this for a living.
3: Yeah, it's, you know, the famous question, what do you want to be when you grow up? I I think we're always asking ourselves that question. Um... I I just asked myself,
2: what, two minutes ago. (laughs) I
1: I was one, I may this may be like, like the end of the generation. I always thought I was going to be a baseball player. I really did. Like for the longest time, I thought I'm playing, you know, if if you would have asked me like, like, Fifteen-year-old friend, what are you going to do? Oh, I'm going to be a pro baseball player.
2: And now you're telling us how you played tennis in, in high school. I can't
0: so. <laughs> believe I never shared that with
1: anyone. I never shared that with anyone. Yeah, I, I, I'm I going to toot my own horn. I, I was uh, three three varsity letters, baseball, soccer, and, and tennis in high Very school. Very cool. There you go. Who knew?
3: Uh, who knew? And <laughs> I think, you know, I will admit I was never one of those, like, this is exactly what I want to be when I grow up, and this is what I want to do, and I – my path kind of, you know, it, it kind of just came to be over the years. I mean, I knew I wanted to get involved um, with conservation, with, you know, something towards making a difference, being better, doing better in this world. Um, I grew up in Sussex County. I grew okay. up in the woods. I grew up around farms. I, I was always, you know, out in nature. And when I started going to college, um, I realized, huh, I could make a career out of this That's that's pretty cool um was I that was that
1: your original major when you entered college or did you switch
3: I actually went to a community college okay. um Memphis County Community College I was liberal arts like I think most probably are yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you start and you have no idea because you're 18 and you don't really know what the heck you want to know um and while I was there um I took you know just the basic stuff you had to take and I worked closely with um like a counselor advisor, like a career advisor. And through conversations, you know, she would say, like, what do you love doing? And I'm like, I love being outside. I love hiking. I love the water. I love that. And she's like, well, then go, you know, pursue that as a degree in that and a career in that. And um, when I started really getting into it, um, I found myself leaning towards going to um, upstate New York to study Um, I wanted to get out of these woods and explore new woods. And so I ended up going to um, State University of New York, the Environmental Science and Forestry uh, College up in Syracuse. Um, The field programs um, were led in the Adirondacks. So I had really good exposure to like the deep woods. And I knew I loved forestry. Um, I knew, you know, I still didn't know, I'll be honest, when I was about to graduate, I still wasn't hundred percent sure what I wanted to actually <laughs> do. I knew what I, you know, the things I was interested in, but it's hard to kind of formulate a job out of it. Um, yeah. it depends on what's available. And when I graduated, there was a short-term position with the nature conservancy, um, in New York and I got hired as a, a part-time employer, a full-time short-time seasonal, where I was working in the wetlands off of Lake Ontario doing wetland restoration and I canoed every day for work and I absolutely loved it. I fell in love with the nature conservancy. I fell in love with just like the restoration, um, projects, just working in the water um it all kind of started coming together for me and i came back to new jersey to look for work um with you know a very strong interest in working for the nature conservancy again and long and behold there was a position open <laughs> in new jersey and it happened that they had just um started working in the pollen skills so the work was just starting wow. when i started with the nature conservancy so I always say it's luck um, or timing or whatever you call it, but I I basically found, you know, at this point, looking back, my dream job right in my hometown, which I never in a million years would have ever thought that would happen. Um, So being able to work doing what I love in my own backyard in my community has definitely made it um, a bonus. Um and also working for an organization that I, you know, respect and admire, it's it's another bonus. So
1: that's all awesome. I would I would love to kayak or canoe for work
2: every day. Mm-hmm. We oh do gosh. have we, a pond. We have our pond and we need the to- Clean out those filters <laughs> at least yeah. once a week. <laughs> I don't want to do that.
1: <laughs> but I like, lo- you know, it's it's it's. I love learning that though. Like, not everyone yeah. realized that. Like Kelly Gill went to college to be an artist and yeah. and switched later on. Tom, mm-hmm. you're. We even talked in the Pinelands episode. You, yeah, Originally, I'd... this wasn't your career path. No, or what I you was, thought it was.
2: Uh, be. Yeah, I was gonna be. Oh, first it was. Gonna, I was gonna basically go into um, agricultural credit was my plan, and then it Ooh. was like one class. In like one instance in a class, we had a guest speaker, and he said, Oh, yeah, we don't hire anyone from your school, <laughs> which was completely untrue. There was a yeah. whole bunch of people who got hired the year before me, a whole bunch of people who got hired the year after. And then, uh, yeah, then that set me off. Oh, if I can't do that, being a teacher sounds pretty cool. So I was going to be an agricultural educator. And um, then just kind of turned out that I was like, I'm really sitting on something that could be great. My parents have developed yeah. this awesome business, it's something I love, I'm passionate about. And uh, whatever I'd want to do, this would be a great yeah. launching pad. It was going to get me a lot closer to getting where I want yeah. to be than especially being a teacher. Yeah. I'm so glad I didn't take that path now. And I am but, too. You're good yeah. at this.
1: Like this is a natural yeah. fit for you. I think you're bringing a whole different aspect to this nursery than mm-hmm. it's seen in the past. So, And I was going to be a baseball player. Yeah. All right. You want, to, you want to hear the story how that changed? Sure. Yeah. All right. Yeah. See, this is a story I've never told on the on the podcast. I have mm-hmm. new I have new stories. Yeah. yeah. So I thought I was going to be a baseball player, and I I probably wasn't major league good, but I was good, you know. And I remember <laughs> in junior high, the high school coach coming down to see, and he had told the junior high coach that I was the best number three batter he'd ever seen come through the school mm-hmm. school district. So he was excited to get a hold of me, and when I hit my junior year, which should have been my starting year on varsity, and I had made varsity, I had slumped like I had never slumped before. I'd never had a slump in my entire life. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. I didn't realize it until after I, I read the book Moneyball, and Billy Bean kind of goes into what type of baseball players there are, and there's ones that forget really mm-hmm. easy, and they're the ones that are most successful. And then there's ones that have to work really hard and be a student of the game which is kind of how I was in soccer. And then there's ones that were just naturally good and never thought about it. So when they have an issue, they don't know how to correct it. And that was me. So as soon as I, I never had to think about it. I just always knew how to do it. So mm-hmm. as soon as I slumped, I, it, it, it crushed me. So I spent the, my entire junior year sitting on the bench. And mm-hmm. on the last game of the year, the coach sent me down to JV at the very yeah. last game of the year. <laughs> I, I hit a walk-off home run to win the game and I never touched a baseball glove or bat. Again. <laughs> that was it. I'm like, I'm playing tennis next year. <laughs> so, <laughs> which I, I was talking about how great of an experience I had doing that. So I'm, everything happens for a reason. Yeah. So, yeah. But, Everything
3: happens for a reason. I think what I've learned over the years is it's good to be flexible and keep your options open because everything's always changing and evolving. Even, you know, I think as soon as I mastered this tree work, yeah, I'm yeah. now given different opportunities to work on dam removal. So it's you know I, I think it's always good to keep to keep your career open it's, and not be set. It's in, good to be curious.
1: Yeah. It's good to constantly yeah. be creative and to learn new new skills. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it, yeah. it gets very monotonous and boring. So the the, the fact that you are able to have this project and have it be successful and have it end and get to move to the next one, which has its own challenges, uh, and you can make it easy. Uh, equally as uh, successful and it's and it makes everything different you know and that's one of the things I like about here there's there's constantly new challenges you know Mm -hmm. even just dealing with a pandemic this year has has posed a whole set how how has the pandemic affected you and your work at the nature conservancy
3: yeah so I typically hire three seasonal field staff every year and they are the backbone of our field work. Um, so all those trees that get planted, it is those, season- <laughs> you know, our field staff that are out there day and night. Not wow. night actually, Not We don't make them work at night, but they're out there and they, you know, help to collect all our water quality data. And so I had interviewed our three new seasonals um, that were scheduled to start, I think it was like the last week of March, Um, And our office had already, you know, shut down. We were trying to think of ways to get them on board and things were just getting worse and worse. So we ended up forfeiting um, those positions this year. And this is the first year in five years that I did not have a seasonal crew. Wow. Uh, So it was it was sad for sure. Um, I definitely um, was a lot lonelier this year. (laughs) Um, We'll we'll definitely say that. But um, it was, you know, it was good to it was to me, you know, there's always a light at the end of the tunnel. It was a good year to regroup. Um, it actually allowed me to get reconnected to some of these sites because our our seasonals were out there every year. We had um, seasonals returning year and year after year, so they knew the sites. It was you know even less training for me here, so it was nice for me to get back out there and reconnect with these work sites. But we had to we had to shake up the whole field season. We uh, you know we couldn't I couldn't do everything by myself. We didn't yeah. have volunteers come out, so we reprioritized, um, you know, any sort of tree planting that was able to get done in a safe way where there were small plantings that I could manage on my own with maybe like one extra person or something. You know, we did those, yeah. the water quality monitoring, we had to switch everything. So we only had like the priority monitoring happening. We didn't collect data at the rest of the site. So we definitely, um, for our freshwater, you know, everything got tightened up and, and we definitely... We'll have gaps in our data. Um, a lot of the tree planting sites you know didn't get done. I'm trying to finish them up this fall now that things are you know not back to normal by any stretch, but we have we're a little more prepared. <laughs> yeah. just say. So now we know like we can go out, we can do things in a safe way. Um, I am hoping to you know hire come next spring, assuming nothing takes you know a turn for the worse here. But I think we have systems in place now. Um, our office has been closed um, on a soft close, so only folks that you know essential business that yeah. need to go in are going in. Everybody's working from home, so it's you know it's been different. Um,
1: I, I but- I'm very jealous of your office, by the way. When I came up to visit you the last time, <laughs> and I got to see the because it's in a, it's in a, a is it a park
3: that it's located yeah. in? Yeah, it's Morris County um, Park. It's one of their parks, um, and so we rent the Chester office, we rent the building, um, for our office. Um, but I will say this, you know, whole work from home has really a lot of, a few folks already worked from home. Yeah, um, we have a very flexible work arrangement, I think at TNC, um, I was working, you know, half from home, half in the office. So it wasn't too big of a change okay. for me, but, um, I think we're really starting, you know, with thinking about opening up next year. I know we're, Thinking about, you know, who likes working from home, who needs to go to the office. Like maybe we don't all need to be in the office to do our job. Like it's true. um, It's true. You know, so it it gave us a good opportunity to really reexamine how we how we work and how we operate. I mean, I for one was traveling all over New Jersey just for meetings alone. So Mm. just not having to travel all over the place, um, for meetings anymore that's just a huge time saver right there um so i you know it's it's different but we'll we'll learn from this year and and hopefully as things begin to ease um or at least get a little bit better
1: we're seeing that just with trade shows there's there's Mm -hmm. obviously no trade industry trade shows uh this upcoming winter for us and there's one that it will be the first time in i think 31 years that i haven't attended I'm actually a little relieved. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually a little relieved that I don't. <laughs> it's uh, the, the, the uh, mid-Atlantic nursery trade show in Baltimore, which is probably the biggest industry trade show on the, the East Coast, mm-hmm. I would say. So, wow. It will be weird not going, but in the same respect, it's kind of nice to get a break. <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: yep. so, it was a nice regrouping year is what I keep saying. <laughs> yes, definitely.
1: Definitely. So one question I wanted to ask, and we started this kind of with Kelly Gill, and it came off. It, it just kind of came out of nowhere, just naturally during our discussion. I think we've only asked it one other time, but it's a question that I love. If you could go meet any conservationist or ecologist, past or present, like if there's one hero uh, in this field that you could meet and and talk to, is there is there someone that you could pick?
3: Yeah, I thought about that. I I don't. I'll be honest. I don't have like a one person that's. Oh my gosh, if I met this person, I would die. But I. Yeah. I do think um, what interests and excites me most is like just the history um, of of our landscape and how it's changed. And so to just be, you know, tagging along with someone like John Muir on his, you know, escapades through the West when it was back in the 1800s and, you know, nothing was really settled yet. I think that would be most exciting to see for me um, or to be involved in those just like early conversations of like how to protect this land. And what we need to do to preserve it um, as, you know, industry was on the rise and, and all that stuff. So
1: like,
3: like it th- isn't interesting.
1: Just think about, like, if you could be the sidekick of, like, John Audubon. Mm-hmm. Like, as he traveled and, and, and drawing
3: and—or
1: yeah. Lewis and Clark. Like, <laughs> like,
3: yeah, oh, well, like, wild. Yeah,
1: yeah, that would be phenomenal. All right, I just think— Just
3: to see it, yeah.
1: I think we have to get close to— start wrapping it up we have two last questions for you okay uh most importantly how can our listeners get involved uh and help what is the best way for them to to contribute
3: Yeah, I think for now, the best way to get involved and contribute is to, you know, reach out to me at the Nature Conservancy. We have, like I mentioned, we have over 100,000 trees that just got planted. We still have a ton of work to do in terms of cleaning up all of our work sites and pulling tubes and stakes out of the field that, you know, were used for protection. So over the next few years, um, either helping to collect survivability data to track project success or helping to clean up some of these work sites um, would be Greatly appreciated and definitely needed. Um, So definitely, yeah. How can
1: how can they reach out and get in contact with you?
3: Um, Email, phone. I'm pretty available and flexible. So,
1: (laughs) all right, throw out your email address.
3: Yeah, you can reach me at Michelle M I C H E L L E period De Blasio D I B L A S I O at tnc dot org.
1: Awesome, and then our. Our main question, which we always end with, and then a final—the most, the most important question—the most important question of the whole podcast <laughs> okay. is: What is your favorite native plant?
3: Yeah. So my favorite native plant, it would have to. It's always a. It's a hard. It's a really hard question for me. Just by the way, I can um, imagine because I have a lot. Because <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot, but for the purpose of just you know picking one to rise to the top, I would have to say um, a sugar maple. I had one in my backyard as a kid that I used to climb daily and it was probably my favorite thing to do growing up was climbing that tree. <laughs>
1: you, you know it's one thing that for us you know especially with climate change sugar maples really aren't that visible near us um, anymore. That's not part of mm. our landscape and and I kind of have forgotten about it. I grew up in pa where like in bucks county there's still a lot of where was that friend i'm not i don't need to say that (laughs) but in 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 bucks county there's definitely a larger population of of sugar maples there at least when i was a kid so it wasn't until this past weekend when i was on the train ride in in phillipsburg you know seeing all the sugar maples hitting their fall color you know i forgot how much I miss them <laughs> like well, how beautiful. much they, they they really are that's that's a fantastic choice so this, and who
3: doesn't like maple syrup so.
1: I know I was looking at all those trees going <laughs> man this yeah. I wonder how much we could get if we tap these <laughs> that that did cross my mind I did think about that um all right so we always end with a final thought this is when we open the floor you can you can use this time however you want to use it. If you want to uh, recap, or if you just want to um, tidy it up, or if there's something you want to talk about, or, or promote, or or tell people how they can help, this is this is your stage. It's all yours.
3: Well, I just want to say thank you. So much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Um, I was really excited to be able to just speak a little bit more about our tree planting programs, about the success of those programs. We have a lot of great work that has gone on in the Paul and Skill watershed. I would say for anybody itching to get out of their homes and out um, to some of these sites, most of our sites are on state lands. We have a number of different um, interpretive signage and brochures located throughout the rail trails in Sussex and Warren counties. You could just do a simple Google search and I'm sure it will not be hard to find <laughs> the Sussex Branch Trail or the Pollen Skill Valley Rail Trail. Um, you know, Get out, come see some fall foliage, check out all the trees we've planted. Um, I will say, you know, a huge thank you to Pinelands. They were a major, major contributor to all of our source of materials. Oh, thank you. Um, in many, many years, and I am really, really sad to not be putting in giant orders by the thousands with you guys anymore. <laughs> so,
1: so are we. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and I'm not exactly, you know, that's like. And when we kind of when we started the Roots to River program, I'll never forget how excited I was to call Fran and be like, "Hey, would you want to sell?" and save maybe like 10 20 thousand trees for us
1: yeah yeah <laughs> it good, that's
3: it was a good deal
1: <laughs> yeah i would take those phone calls anytime
3: <laughs> i will still be promoting tree planting throughout my entire life even if we're not you know completely involved and i will always reference pilings. you guys have been great um it's been so much fun to just meet everybody um and really get out there and, and try to make that difference in these watersheds um
1: so thank you. We we love being a partner uh, with these types of projects and and the Nature Conservancy and, and we love getting to know the people involved in these. I you know I I was really upset our last uh, customer appreciation dinner that I didn't even know you were there until we were heading in <laughs> to like like Michelle that. and I bumped into each other as we were heading in for the presentation and I was like I didn't even know you yeah. were here <laughs> I didn't get a chance to say hello, you know. But it I those are the the moments that I love where we get to know, you know, the people that we work with so often, but we don't know them that well. Mm-hmm. So it's it, it's been a pleasure getting to know you and, and work with you. And and we love all the opportunities that you've given us to work with you. So thank you so much. Likewise. Tom, you want to go or do you want me
2: to go? I can go. All right. It's Mine's more of a final thoughts and not thought. OK. It's one of them short. All right. That's so one I just saw the other day, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I saw it on Facebook, Marcus Gray, through his Monarchs on the Rough program, put up um, that there is a uh, monitoring opportunity for their Monarchs on the Rough program where citizens can sign up and contact these golf courses to see, uh, basically see how many Monarchs are there or in all their stages oh, of life. Awesome. Caterpillars, Chrysalis, they can kind of help out with that. So there's a list of golf courses that we'll put up on our group page um, it's already shared on our, the the pine uh, pines nursery page but we want to put it on the group page too for people to find um, the other one is when we were talking about uh, basically the the survival rates of these trees yeah. i started thinking about how 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 many like trees were actually saving in a way by collecting this wild seed and because a lot of that time the seed would just fall how many of those, i don't know someone's probably done research on this how many of those seeds actually germinate and then survive for a portion of their their lifespan? Yeah. How many of them drop off? Either the seed never germinates, or they become deer food after a couple of weeks. Or and then uh, you look at what we're doing when we're collecting all the seed and giving those plants life until uh, I guess well, I don't know when when they die. <laughs> but we give them more of a chance than they had in nature.
1: I I was witnessing something interesting the other day. I was at home having a meeting online, and I was witnessing outside my backyard squirrels gathering seed and planting mm-hmm. them in my planters on my deck. Mm-hmm. And then a half an hour later, chipmunks came and took all the seed and ate it all. <laughs> that was that yeah. planted. So yeah. I'm like, that seed that just won't you know it's it's doing its its job. It's providing mm-hmm. nutrients for wildlife. It's it, which is what you want, but you start to wonder how much of this seed is viable, how much, you know, we yeah. learn like yeah. smooth cord grass, an average germination percentage. It's I like want to 20, 25%. It, yeah, 20 yeah, to 25%, really that's it. So it's, you know, so many of these things are fighting with just the germination percent, low germination mm-hmm. percentage to begin with that um, – you know it's easily these things could be in a lot more yeah. trouble if if we weren't doing what we're doing yeah.
2: and i don't want to sound like we're doing something valiant by doing this because we are taking yeah. away things that are food or contributing to the environment in another way
1: or even um, naturally maybe maybe naturally they shouldn't be thriving yeah. maybe we're keeping
2: them yeah but yeah know. it's just kind of passing them on like how many of these plants actually would have come up had we not come and collected the seed and then kind of babied them into actually germinating and growing yeah it's a uh, I don't know. That's, That's a good philosophical. Thought. So, philosoph- I can't say it. Philosophical. Philosophical. <laughs> there you go.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so my final thought, really, it it's just for for those of you that want to get involved. there is so much great work going on that you may not even be aware of right under your nose. I, like a hundred thousand trees have just been planted in the last four years, all up and down New Jersey and you you may have even known someone that volunteered or you may have volunteered just thinking you were helping locally not realizing how much of a bigger picture that it is that you're helping with so please if you want to get involved you don't have to be involved in everything but just be passionate and pick one thing and and make a difference that
2: was again part of why we started doing this we work with so many great groups Uh, just the two i mentioned right now monics on the rough uh the nature conservancy uh, mentioned the sourlands yeah. Conservancy. so yeah. many great groups we work with that you can really go in whatever you're passionate about there's a group for it that you can do something yeah. with and um a lot of these groups revolve around native plants and so
1: i have a million dollar idea you want me to share it or do you want to talk about it off go, the ahead. Air? go ahead we, we should come it. up with an app <laughs> kind of like tinder right but it's connecting people with volunteer organizations to volunteer mm. so you can swipe yeah. like nature conservancy i'll swipe left you know this yeah. you know swipe. <laughs> and you can connect for you know and if you connect with these organizations they'll let yeah. you know when there's volunteer opportunities yeah. for you to Good participate idea. in yeah That's and it pretty, could just be all these great organizations we got it.
2: yeah but make, how do we make money off of that oh i'm just I'm uh, We just you, you can sell yeah. you can get we'll premium
1: memberships yeah. and ad yeah. space yeah we yeah. can we could totally maybe we might have to cut this out <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and, and keep yeah. this for ourselves. For yourself, but I, I think maybe that would be a great, yeah. great money mate. If, yeah. if you have any app making experience, we should do that.
2: I, I have no app making. I have experience. none either. Maybe Michelle does. Michelle,
1: yeah. do nah. you have? Sorry. No, no. All right. So, not,
3: so maybe not the three of us together. <laughs> we might not be the best team on this. We have to
1: get one more person, someone with yeah. app experience. We'll, we'll make it four people, yeah. and we'll, we'll split it. What do you think? I
3: feel like
1: the idea. I like that. I like that. Yeah. And, and then, would, then we would, could.
3: And it would save a lot of email back and forth and oh, random yeah. phone calls. It would kind of put it all in one place. It, like
1: that. I, I think it would be one where if you just connect it with an organization, you would be on that email list. They would get your yeah. email, and then you would be let know anytime there's, you know, you you select the mile, you know, yeah. the mile radius that you want to connect in. It could be a yeah. lot. I wonder yeah. how, like, the it's feeler
2: messages would be going back and forth. <laughs> I would and then love what to, about the breakup messages oh uh, man that wouldn't be good <laughs> uh
1: i would love to write some of the profiles So <laughs> I, I would that would i'm gonna start yeah. i'm gonna start writing some maybe i'll share one on a future episode of the buzz yeah that's so, a good idea i think that's a good idea yeah. so michelle we would love to have you back at some point our goal is at some point this winter we're going to start a series for the podcast where it's roundtable discussions where it'll be one topic with uh, a group of our peers, uh, you know, we had talked about having people on, just four or five people to discuss monarchs, or it could be dam removal, it could be a few things. Mm-hmm. So if if you're interested, we'll we'd love to talk to you in the future about uh, yeah. becoming part of that as we move That's forward. Fun. We keep talking about it, but we haven't gotten there yeah, yet. I yeah. think probably we wanted,
2: yeah, we wanted to wait till the end of the year. We have so many organizations to feature, it, and we just keep adding that list. And now it's we're hard to. And,
1: and then we've added the buzz in too, mm-hmm. so it's yeah. just it keeps it keeps growing. Yep. So that's okay.
3: great. Sounds
2: fun. Awesome. Cool. Awesome. Sounds great. So with that, we're about wrapped up. Um, thank you again for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed listening about the Nature Conservancy. Make sure you follow them at www. www.nature.org um, on Facebook. Now, Michelle, you can add to this here because some of these are the national organizations. Yeah, we have the ones, national ones, but yeah. then there's also the new jersey ones so i i yeah. actually already put it there's uh at nj conservancy for the new jersey Na- nature conservancy i forgot what you told me was the the national oh nature i don't remember but um on twitter it was at nature.org instagram was at the nature conservancy and then youtube is at nature conservancy oh facebook was the nature conservancy okay yeah. easy enough what were some of the do you know the the um new jersey chapter ones michelle
3: the New Jersey. Ugh, this is this is full disclosure. I'm not on social media.
2: Ah, uh, good for you.
3: So, good for you.
1: <laughs> I, I've I've been trying to really cut back. I've I've been making a very concerted effort to to do less and less and less.
3: Never got into it. So I believe it's nature, NJ nature, or nature New Jersey on Instagram. Um, but if you if you go to the Nature Conservancy and then the New Jersey page, if you just Mm -hmm. search, it'll all those different links for all the different avenues will be there. And then it it has our our current work. So it's the the bigger organization, but then you can search for New Jersey and it'll bring you to like a New Jersey specific page on the website and then you can follow the links to different Mm -hmm. um, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that good stuff.
1: Awesome. Awesome. So I would love to give a big thank you and shout out to Stephen Marr for contributing our theme music, Funky Road. Uh,
2: Would you, do you think... As we continue with this, yeah. as we go into next year, and now that we have lots of listeners, yeah. do you think we'd ever open up to having like a seasonal theme song?
1: Oh, you know what? Here's what I'd be willing to to, to, to discuss. <laughs> I would be willing to maybe change the intro theme music for different segments of the podcast. So mm-hmm. I would love to keep Funky Road for this, because yep. I think it's synonymous. Mm-hmm. You hear it, you know what yeah, you're yeah. going to get. But maybe for the buzz? Yeah. Or I, I guess... I don't know what we're going to call the round table one. It might just be the round table. uh, Mm -hmm. It could be the round table. I don't know. But um, maybe for those, we can solicit for our listeners to contribute theme music. All right. So what do you think? Good idea? I
2: think that's a good idea. All right. Yeah. It was fun. It was fun finding theme music. It it, it was And now we didn't... I want to do it again. <laughs> so I'm right. getting at. All, right. All right, so we'll find more It's So much fun, I'm
1: gonna do it again. Yeah. <laughs> yes. All right. So we're we're Tom and I are, are going to record another episode of the buzz soon. So we will mm-hmm. will maybe we'll we'll have a plan by the time we broadcast something. Yeah. Yeah. We're that. Um let me see. Uh I forgot where I was at. I totally sidetracked. You can follow us on Twitter at Pineland Nursery, Facebook at Pinelands Nursery N J. Instagram at Pinelands Nursery and YouTube at Pinelands Nursery. Don't forget, we do have a question and answer line. We did get calls this week and we will answer. And they them. were all legitimate calls. They were all adi- were. no prank phone calls. <laughs> and I will say this I'm, we're rewarding good behavior because when we posted in the Facebook group that if we were giving away seed packets for the first five people that called into the line, mm-hmm. and a lot of people had great questions, but they listed them in the post, and that doesn't count. So. Mm-hmm. If you want the seed packets, you have to call the question and comment line to participate. We'll answer those questions. The other questions, I am not gonna, I am not gonna mm-hmm. answer. So uh, maybe I will, <laughs> <laughs> but you can call us on that line at two one five three four six six one eight nine. I'll say that one more time: two one five three four six six one eight nine. And you can ask a question or leave a comment. If we pick your question or comment, we will play it on the air and answer it on a future podcast. Um, an episode of The Buzz, more than likely. And let's not forget the Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group. You guys have been wonderful. Uh, welcome to all the new members. Keep it going.
2: Yeah, you can listen to Native Plants Healthy Planet uh, directly on www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. You can also check us out on Apple Podcasts. Three more five star reviews after this episode. Yes, make, let's make it five more. Let's five do five star reviews right, and some. Let's write something. Let's, yeah, let us uh, we, know. <laughs> we love the
1: stars, but I I like the comments even yeah, more.
2: Yeah, um, you can do. Do, do I already read that? You can also listen to us on Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you consume your podcast. I don't know where you can't listen to us. You know, you can even ask Alexa. The funny
1: thing is though, the the four that you mentioned. Are the top four like mm-hmm. Apple Podcasts? Fifty percent of yeah. our listens, which is amazing. Spotify is like ten percent, and then I think uh, Podbean and Stitcher make up another five percent. Mm-hmm. Like that's like seventy percent of our listens. Just yes, on we that. know
2: where you're listening. Yes, that's, that's...
1: <laughs> we know. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so yeah, you can even ask Alexa. We don't know if you're asking Alexa, but I'm hoping you. Would About do.
1: seventeen that's... people have asked Alexa. A friend. <laughs> <laughs> so,
2: thank you again everyone I'm Tom
1: and I am Fran thanks again everyone Michelle thank you so much uh, uh, it was great talking to you today thank you for, for being a part of this um, likewise have uh, me uh, anytime and we will see everyone again next time until then keep it native